We're going to continue on today talking about the Holy Spirit. But we're going to do it in a little different way. I, I want to show a couple of videos that are from our, our denominational leaders. I want you to know that the teaching that we've been going through here the last few weeks is not my idea. I don't want you to think that I'm the one creating this idea and that it's all about this. If, you, if you've never been exposed or experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and really what it's about, it's important that we teach on it. And we are teaching on it very slowly, methodically, because I believe teaching is what creates hunger. If we're not teaching, how do we know? And we just don't want to base our lives on emotion, even though emotion's great, but when emotion leaves, what are we left with? Nothing. So we need to make sure that we're standing on the promises of God's Word, and what we believe here is based on God's Word, not just on a man's thought or on man's emotions. Amen? I don't mind emotions. I think they're great, but if that's all we're building towards, then we're not building towards anything eternal or permanent. Because we know how fickle our emotions are, correct? Do you ever have a good day? Do you ever have a bad day? Do you have a roller coaster type of an experience with our emotions? Yeah, amen. But you know, God's word is never that way. God's word is always steady, it's always true, and it's always right on mark. And that's what we're trying to teach here. We're trying to teach the word of God in that way. And the Holy Spirit is very important in a Christian's life. And we want to continue to expose that. We want to continue to teach on that. Not just to say that we're Pentecostal by name only, but I would have all of us, all of us, be Pentecostal in experience. This is not just for a few people. The Holy Spirit is not just for a few people. It is for everyone that calls themselves a Christian. It is for everyone that has Jesus Christ in their life. You are a candidate for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, you are instructed to receive it. You are instructed to um, seek it. Not just as an experience in itself, but as a lifestyle. As a way of living. As a, as a source of your power. As a source of your authority. You know, it is, it is exciting when we can walk in that, when it's not ourselves. This weekend, we were down, we were traveling, we went down to Ohio because we had to take Jenna down for a volleyball game, and we were in Grand Rapids, picked her up in Big Rapids, we stopped in a Panera Bread in Grand Rapids and, uh, for lunch. And uh, we're sitting there and uh, eating our lunch, and I noticed that there was a gentleman sitting also there, and I think he had a Salvation Army uniform on. And uh, with a couple other ladies, oh, it was a mid middle-aged gentleman, and um, and I just was intrigued by him. I don't know why. I, I think it was the Holy Spirit do doing something in my life. But anyway, about him. But anyway, I I just sensed something going on, and so I didn't really do too much about it at that time. I went up and got a cup of coffee, and when I was at the coffee line, I really felt the presence of the Holy Spirit tell me to go pray for that man. And uh, you know, I don't do that a lot. You know, that's just, I don't normally get in personal, people's personal space a lot like that. But, you know, I just felt so impressed. Chris and Jenna were gone. They were, I think, out to the car already, actually. So I just went over, and I just sat down next to him, and I just said, excuse me, sir. I said, I just feel, I said, I'm a Christian. And I even said, I'm a pastor. Just let him, you know, I said, I'm a Christian. I said, I just feel the Lord asking me to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And he looked, his eyes got wide open, looked at me kind of weird. And I said, I, he said, yeah. I said, well, what's your name? He said, my name's Tim. I said, all right, can I, let's just pray, Tim. So I just prayed. Whatever the Lord put on my heart, I just prayed for him. It was, it was maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute. And I just got up and I just said, have a great day. And I just walked out. I have no idea what that was about. I have no idea what was going on in Tim's life. 
And I prayed for him this morning. I prayed for him last night. And I'll continue to pray for Tim because the Lord's doing something. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit's leading. That's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That is what we follow. It's not an emotional appeal. I didn't get all emotional with Tim. I didn't jump up and down. I didn't embarrass him. I didn't do anything silly. I just quietly went over to him and I just prayed with him. And, no, and I know you do it too. I know there's a number of these people in this church that do that as well. And I would encourage you to continue on leading and following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, I wanted to watch a couple little videos. This first video is about seven minutes long, and it is, it is uh, kind of a pre-teaching, uh, if you will, on what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is cold. For nearly 50 years, coal has been used in our country to generate the lion's share of electricity for our homes, businesses, and industry. This electricity has provided us with power for lighting, heating, cooling, cooking, washing, communicating, entertaining. Well, you get the idea. Simply stated, electricity is essential in providing for the many needs and amenities we enjoy in America. Here at this power plant, Every few days, a string of coal cars arrives packed with coal from out of state. When the coal arrives, it drops through the bottom of each car into this unloading station. From here, it travels by conveyor belt, where it is piled and sized for processing. The coal is then moved to a mill station, where it is ground into a fine powder and used as fuel to fire a huge furnace chamber, heating it to over 1,000 degrees. Here in the chamber, water courses through a grid of boiler piping and is superheated to create an intense steam. The steam is then piped into a large turbine engine where the pressure from the steam rotates the mechanical turbine, turning the electrical generator. As the generator spins, molecules move and charge, creating electricity. That electricity is then transferred to the switchyard just outside the plant where it's distributed to a number of substations throughout the region, and then on to homes and businesses, supplying them with power. When you think about it, the process for generating electrical power has many similarities to the process we must all follow as Christians for having spiritual power. When we receive Christ at the moment of salvation, we become a new creation. The Holy Spirit indwells our being and resides in us. And at that moment, we're given a great resource. But like any resource, if it's going to be helpful, it's got to be processed and put to use. Take this lump of coal. It's of little value if I just stand here and hold it. But if you process it and put it to use, it can be a great tool, as we've seen. It's the same for us as believers. If we have the Holy Spirit inside us and we never tap into His power, we miss a great opportunity to do more and reach the full potential God offers us beyond our own gifts and talents. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These final words of our Savior describe a powerful experience that we as Pentecostals hold dear. It's described 
in many ways in the Bible, but Jesus and others called it the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He also called it the promise of the Father. One of the things we need to realize is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every Christian. In the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they were all filled with the Spirit. Peter told the crowd on that day that that promise was for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, even as many as the Lord himself shall call. Friend, Peter was talking about us, all of us who are in Christ Jesus. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate experience that follows salvation. It is not a requirement for salvation, but it is a benefit that every member of the body of Christ can enjoy. So the Holy Spirit baptism is not a requirement of salvation for the non-Christian, but it is an empowering experience for the Christian so that they can be supernaturally equipped. The book of Acts demonstrates a very clear-cut pattern. The Holy Spirit baptism occurs only after someone has truly accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, the Holy Spirit is present during this process, for He is the convicting agent that draws someone to Jesus and baptizes Him into Christ. But there is another experience that is different than and subsequent to salvation, and that's where the power of the Holy Spirit is so very real. With that experience comes intimacy, where we want to live a righteous, holy life. And also, there comes a power to witness. One of the things I've learned in being here at this plant, that creating power is really a noisy business. The fire stokes, the pressure bills, the turbine whines, the generator rumbles. Believe me, it's noisy. But it's all part of the process. Isn't that just like the Spirit? The historical record of the book of Acts shows that the baptism is always accompanied by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. On the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Spirit and spoke in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. This recurring sign of Acts is the initial physical evidence of the Holy Spirit and a sign that one has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. To me personally, I view the baptism much like this furnace chamber here at the plant, or for that matter, like a steam kettle on a stove. When the water gets hot and begins to boil, there's no containing it. It's going to be released, and with it will come a sound. So it is with our spirit. When we approach God in brokenness, with a heart full of love for God, and our mouths filled with thankfulness for His wonderful gift of salvation, there come a point when we're full and our spirit cannot be contained. Now, out of this baptism process, we're empowered beyond our own capabilities. We're virtually immersed in the Spirit of God in His presence. Human timidness is gone, and we're filled with confidence to share the gospel. There's this desire to live a holy life, to be more Christ-like, to live beyond our capabilities. There's a desire to read the Word, there's a desire to be a greater disciple. And there's this desire to help others. The day we accepted Christ, we were given a great opportunity. The power of His Spirit, unleashed 
through baptism in our lives with power to live, to serve, and to win others for all eternity. Friends, let's not squander it. I don't know about you, but my prayer is, Lord, send the wind. Okay, my prayer here is that as we continue to go through the teaching over the next few weeks, that we would all receive such a level of hunger that we would seek the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, that we would all be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the speaking in tongues, that's just an initial evidence, but that's, that's, not, that's not all there is. There's so much more to the power of the Holy Spirit that we live in a, on a daily basis. And that we use the power of the prayer language that comes on a daily basis. That we speak in tongues daily. That we make it part of our prayer life. That we make it part of our personal devotion. That we recognize that with that there comes an authority. There comes an identification. That when I speak and when I pray in my personal prayer language, when I'm all by myself, what am I doing? Is that I'm identifying to the devil who, I own, who owns me. I'm identifying to the enemy that I have another language that I've been taught that I don't know, but it's my spirit prays, that God understands. It's a heavenly language that only he understands. The devil's on the sidelines thinking, what is going on with this guy? I have no idea what this guy's talking about, but I can't stop it. That's the power of a constant prayer life in that. All right, so that's, we're going to continue to talk about that. And I, what I pray is that you get so hungry for it that you receive this baptism all by yourself. I'm not into hype and emotion for that purpose. I know that I've been in lots of prayer times and lots of times where we brought people to the front and we've, you know, banged them on the head and we've moved their jaw and we've said all kinds of things to get them to speak in tongues. And I'm not about that. That's not what I want. And I want him to baptize you wherever you're at. You could be home in the shower. You could be driving your car. You could be any place in your own personal life and your own devotion seeking God and all of a sudden you just have a prayer language. That is the real deal. That's what I'm seeking for you and I, that we have that. I want to watch this next video again. For those that still, again, ha that haven't been exposed to it, this is a roundtable discussion. The gentlemen that are going to be talking are George Wood. George Wood, Dr. George Wood is our general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. Uh, Alton Garrison, who you just heard, he is the assistant general superintendent. James Bradford is a general secretary, and Douglas Clay is our general treasurer. So these are four of our five or six general leaders in the Assemblies of God. And this is their discussion on one of our four tenets of faith, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to hear their thoughts. I want you to hear wh how they present it and their roundtable discussion, because, again, this is all part of educating ourselves. So let's, uh, let's watch this. One of the things that's really interesting about the landscape of religion worldwide is the rise and emergence of Pentecostalism, particularly in uh, third world countries, uh, Latin America. Uh, statisticians tell us there are between 600 million to 700 million Pentecostals. Um, the evangelical church world has, uh, has not typically embraced uh, a Pentecostal stance or our message so I, I was just wondering 
number one, from your perspective, what is God trying to say to the church, to the world? Number two, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in, in our life? Then I want to talk about in the world. And then how does that differ maybe from the, the, what we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Pentecostalism? First of all, I think that uh, there's been a lot of misunderstanding about the role of the Holy Spirit, particularly in the area of salvation. Is there a subsequent experience? Uh, uh, weigh in on that and, and help, help me understand the distinction between those two things. Well, in John 20, Jesus breathes on the disciples in the upper room on the uh, evening of his resurrection and says, receive the Spirit. Um, and I understand that to be that he is re basically re replaying the creation scene where God breathed into Adam the breath of life. He is breathing now the benefits of his resurrected life, eternal life, into his disciples. Um, you know, that, that, that word, receive the Spirit, is different from what you find in Acts chapter 2 because Jesus himself said, after he said, receive the Spirit, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you've received the Spirit. So clearly there, the, the term receive the Spirit is an elastic term, which in the initial instance refers to the regenerative moment, Acts chapter, or John chapter 20, and then in Acts chapter 2 refers to the moment of empowerment. And, and you have those two distinctions. And... Uh, um, I think a lot of the evangelical world uh, simply takes the John 20, receive the Spirit, as all embracive of the Spirit's work. You get the full payload uh, at, the, at the moment of salvation and there's no subsequent experience, whereas Acts 2 says there is a subsequent experience. A tip-off on that for me is that he does say receive the Holy Spirit, and yet Jesus is very clear that the Holy Spirit is actively at work even before we receive the Holy Spirit, even before the yes. salvation experience. No one can come to him without the conviction of God's Spirit in our lives, without the birthing of faith somehow in our heart by the work of the Spirit. So even before we're saved, the Holy Spirit's active. Clearly Jesus, in terms of his born-again language, says there's this work of the Spirit. You don't know where it comes, and blow like the wind, but you have to be born in the Spirit and, and the receive the Spirit idea. And so to me it's no... It's no huge leap of difficult logic to say then there are ongoing works of the Spirit subsequent to that receive the Spirit salvation experience. Except that it seems to me that the language that describes that is different. It seems to be um, that subsequent experience, we would call it being immersed in the Spirit or the baptism of the Spirit, is like anointing language. Like, like Jesus said at the end of Luke, Luke, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you are, some translations say, clothed with power from on high. Or, in, or as Luke continues to describe those events in Acts, he said this Holy Spirit came upon them. That's a little different than John and the resurrection appearance where he breathed on them and received the Spirit. This seems to be like the oil in the Old Testament. You know, it came upon them. It, it, and it, it marked them so they never really belonged or lived for themselves anymore. And, and, they, and they had supernatural capacity. And... Uh, so, so it's, this, it's, it's this being clothed with, this being immersed in. It, 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 to me, it's different than the salvation kind of receiving the Holy Spirit. But I'm afraid at times we create a higher value with, within as opposed to coming on. I don't want to minimize the coming on. I love the parallel that Dr. Widges had about the Holy Spirit's work and presence in Genesis. You know, sometimes yeah, we try, yeah. we, we, we try to pick up the Holy Spirit in Acts. He's very much active 
all throughout uh, the Old Testament. And so sometimes we, we make dwelling within higher value than the coming upon that we saw in the Old Testament. And part of the work of the Spirit yeah. in the Old Testament was, was the work of creativity. And you think of His work in creation. That's phenomenal. Brooded over the emptiness, brooded over Bro the chaos. Yes. Right. Yeah. Scripture continually talks about activity. Uh, he's a creator. He speaks. Uh, you know, he's Fire not wind, word. but he can, he can come like wind. He's not fire, but he can heat like fire. He's not water, but he can, I mean, he, I think that there's been, uh, we've been so tied to an event, which we'll talk about, you know, we have to talk about that. But, 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 but there, there's, I like what you're saying, Doug. There's a, there's a whole array of, of activity that I don't, I don't know if people, mm -hmm. even, even in the New Testament, you know, he's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of mm -hmm. triumph. Uh, you know, the, the, his his work in the life of Jesus. I mean, you know, Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. He was uh, begotten by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was anointed by the Spirit. He was baptized by the Spirit. He was raised by the Spirit. I mean, there is, the, this Trinity is so unique and yet so complicated that, you know, that I think people miss that sometimes. Right, yeah. Pick up on what you said about the Spirit of Christ because it seems to me that if we are the body of Christ, we'll experience what the head experienced. Yes. He was conceived of the Spirit, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that to me refers to our being conceived into the kingdom of God, right. salvation. He, draws. he was uh, at his baptism. He, the Spirit descended upon him, which parallels Acts 2. The Spirit descends upon us. Mm -hmm. in, fact, in, in, in fact, it says in, in the book of Acts, the Spirit fell on them. NIV waters that down to came upon them, but the Greek word is epipto, which is literally to fall upon. Mm -hmm. So you have the, you have the bat, and then you then you have the spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. So you have the ministry of Jesus empowered by the Spirit, and then fourth, as you mentioned, you have this this uh, it was He was raised by the Spirit. So so that's the future moment yet for yeah, us. Yeah, but yeah. these three <laughs> epochs of conceived, uh, baptized, and empowered were part of the Lord's own ministry, and they're parallel in what happens in our lives as well. I think our cadence sometimes has brought confusion uh, as it relates to the Holy Spirit. I got it yeah. at camp. I, you know, the Holy Spirit's not an it. Mm -hmm. He is a he and a, and a person, a part of the Godhead. And, and if we're not careful, we reduce the person of the Holy Spirit to a particular activity like baptism. Yeah. Now, baptism is beautiful, wonderful. It is our distinctive. But that member of the Godhead is so much bigger than the actual event. And uh, f starting from creation all the way through to the Spirit's work today. Uh, yeah, we do live in a may the force be with you culture. <laughs> um, kind of a Trekkie. Uh, yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Star Wars, actually. Not. But, uh, uh, you know, where Paul, uh, Paul says at the end of Second Corinthians, you know, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit may be with you. He uses that word koinonia, the same same word, Doug, and you and I use after a, you know going out for dinner with our wives and just having great great fellowship together. You know, I mean, and, and that's coming up. And, and he's soon. constantly working. He's working comprehensively. It even fascinates me in the Old Testament where, where the Spirit of God gives craftsmen abilities to work with their hands. I mean, there is no limit to the to even transcending our spiritual unspiritual categories that the Holy Spirit wants to infuse our lives, our thinking, our our way. It's been an emotional journey for me in the earlier part of my life to bring my feelings about the Holy Spirit 
into conformity with what the scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit because I grew up in a strong Pentecostal home where um, the Holy Spirit was referred to as the Holy Ghost. Hmm. And I developed some very warped concepts. Uh, one, he was a ghost. Ghosts hung around cemeteries. So therefore, the Holy Spirit was spooky. Secondly, he was holy. And some of the people in, in the little churches my dad pastored had, had an external holiness, but were really nasty people. So the, they were not warm, welcoming people. So I got the word holy all messed up. And then I was one of those kids who sought for years and years to receive the baptism of the Spirit and, and didn't, you know, everybody else would, quote, get it, mm -hmm. but I didn't get it. So I just, I thought, well, you know, I know Jesus loves me, but the Father is waiting, you know, to judge me. He was the judge, and the Spirit doesn't want anything to do with me. The Holy Ghost doesn't want anything to do with me. There's, you know, and there's a lot of warped concepts yeah about the Holy Spirit, and I think I experienced them all. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I to work through some How of that. Become general yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to figure out. That's what, you know, but, uh, you know, I, when, I, when I received the baptism of the Spirit, I was 16 years of age, and uh, I remember I used to have friends tell me, George, when you receive the baptism of the Spirit, you know, you're quiet by nature. You're going to be... You're going to be rolling on the floor. You're going to be shouting, and you know, and, and that just that also scared me. And then I had people that had tried to manipulate my jaw, mm. pound me on the backs, repeat "Praise the Lord" x number of times, you know. And my idea, I guess, at the time, uh, I will use now my language because I didn't have this vocabulary then. But uh, but I would, I, I got the feeling that you had to be in a catatonic state, mm -hmm. uh, so that you drifted into a never never land. Mm. And, and you'd speak in other tongues, and, and then you'd come out of it, and somebody would say, you got it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, not realizing that the word ecstasy, which we often use for spiritual involvement, is, is not used ever of, of spirit baptism in the New Testament. Ecstasy comes from two Greek words, out of being, stasis, being, being, and ek, out of being. And, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That is, we are not out of our being. So I remember kneeling at an altar when I was 16, and I just was seeking the Lord, and and all of a sudden I found myself speaking in a language I had not learned. And the two things that immediately came to my mind on the cognitive level was, number one, I'm conscious, which was a surprise. I thought I'd be unconscious. And secondly, I realized that I, in on the inside of me, I had been praying these words, but had never, for years, but had never... I mean, I, I've been praying in the Spirit on the inside, sure. but it never, Just as they voice. began to speak, yeah. you know, yeah. I, because I had, I had so warped an understanding. And I'm convinced that's the case with a lot of people. The Spirit is causing them to, to pray with, with, uh, with a language they have not learned, whether it's the tongue of men or of angels, you know, that's for God to decide. But we're afraid that, well, that's just all human. Instead of letting out of your innermost being will right. flow rivers of water, we don't do that. So... So my own warped conceptions through bad teaching and bad example kept me from an earlier experience of being overwhelmed in the Spirit. And I, and I like the term overwhelming for being baptized in the Spirit because it is an overwhelming experience. Being baptized in water is overwhelming, yes. and being baptized in the Spirit is overwhelming. Yep. So we really, I mean, we really know the Holy Spirit's involvement throughout the history yes before there was a day of pentecost we know that he was present and is present in a salvation experience because the bible says no person can come unless the spirit draw them 
So, so you know, we hear uh, these uh, argument may be too strong a word, but this pushback. Well, I received the Holy Spirit when I got saved. Well, you know, in essence, He is present during that salvation experience, but it's already somebody's already said Luke twenty four, uh, forty nine says, "Tarry until you be endued with power from on high." So there is this empowerment, and and there was a, was a moment when there was an actual uh, in baptism, and we would call that a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So where did the word the Pentecost? I mean, we talk about Pentecostals. You know, when I grew up. That wasn't, a, that wasn't a great term. I grew up in a little bitty, you know, the Baptists had the biggest church in town. The uh, Catholics had a big church, and the Methodists had a big church, and we had a little white church on the corner, you know, and they would say, uh, Alton, uh, you know, do you, do you go down there to that Pentecostal church? And, you know, I would kind of get lockjaw, and because and, my dad was the pastor, you know, what am I supposed to say? And, and they say, is that, is that where they speak in tongues, and they're holy rollers, and... You know, do you do that? And and I would kind of gulp and say, well, you know, my daddy speaks in tongue, you know, and, and trying to explain all that. But I think there's a, you have the cultural thing, and then the, the whole part of the fact that Pentecost is about harvest, and, and what is the purpose of all of this? You know, you know Pentecost actually was a harvest festival uh, in, uh, in the Jewish calendar, and to me it's significantly important that Jesus picked that day to... F to pour his spirit out on that initial group of 120 or so. I remember the first time I was ever in Israel, I was on a trip with George, and uh, we, we were on a kibbutz. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, they came right. over the wagons full exactly. of uh, fruits it, and vegetables. It just happened to be the day of Pentecost. And uh, and they had everyone, remember, children all the way through grandparents. Wow. It was a multi-generational, all the family, all the community together. And they would bring and bring fruit from the sea, from from the from the ground, just the whole thing, and they and there was music and celebration. And I'll never forget standing beside George, and he leaned over and said, "Jim, you will never see a clearer picture of the purpose of Pentecost than this. It's it's to bring in the harvest." You know, it's, it's interesting when you put Pentecost within the scriptural framework. Leviticus 23, you have seven festival, what I call the seven festivals of time, and the first four are in the in a in a seven week period. You've got uh, Passover, you've got Feast of Unleavened Bread. You got the feast of first fruits, and you've got Pentecost seven weeks later, and 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 then there are three fall uh, festivals: the the fe the feast of trumpets, uh, the uh, the the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and uh, and the feast of tabernacles, and and the first four are fulfilled. Pentec and Pentecost, like the scripture says, uh, in the filling up of the day of Pentecost is a literal translation of Acts two one. In the filling up of the day of Pentecost, meaning that Pentecost. The day is not a 24-hour day. It is an epoch, yeah. and it is meant to That's describe <laughs> the whole, the whole journey of uh, from crisis, uh, from the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2 until Christ comes again. Yeah. This, this is the day the epoch, right. in which the Spirit is being poured out upon all flesh. I think if you ask most people, they'll say, you know, well, I want power. I need truth. I want to be led. Yeah. I, you know, they have no problem, but they seem to get hung up on, on. Speaking in tongues, uh, that seems to be an issue that some people are, you know, they wonder how, what, what do you, is it known language, is it unknown language, and why if it's not a known language, why is it an unknown language, and what's the, what's the purpose of all that? I sat down one day and I tried to figure out, in terms of the activities of the Holy Spirit, 
and what we call the gifts of the spirit and you know healing discernment interpretation all that you know what you find every one of those periodically in the Old Testament you see people healed you see even gifts of interpretation the interpretation of dreams and the whole nine yards you see prophecy you see word of wisdom but but you don't really see tongues in the way we understand it's like God reserved that for the epoch of the harvest of Pentecost uh, as a sign of the purpose that he is now making every one of us his spokesperson. Right. And in a way, it's scandalous. Here's this upper room filled with people. They're, not, they're more than just leaders. They're more than prophets, priests, and kings. And suddenly, obviously, if you're a devout Jew, this almost feels blasphemous that you become the oracle of God, that you become God's right. spokesperson. But the flame of fire came upon everyone. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and God kind of sort of pulled out his trump card at this that he <laughs> reserved and, and said, I'm going to give you an utterance sign supernaturally to, uh, to remind you that you now are, are, are my agents for the bringing in of this harvest. You're my spokespeople. You're my voice in the world as you give utterance to it. And when younger ministers ask, well, why tongues? Why is that the initial, you know, whether it's theologically you can connect these dots it, it made sense to me to know that when the most unruly member of my body there you go yeah. became fully yielded to the Lord that's a sign and you know too and picking up on what you both said and going back to the fact that tongues is not found in the Old Testament I think the closest you come is where Hannah is pouring out her soul to God and she's muttering something and, and Eli the priest can't figure out what's going on but what she was doing was pouring out her sorrow and in the and in the New Testament when they when they actually began speaking with other tongues they're they're talking about the megaleos the magnificent wonders of God not pouring out their sorrow but pouring out their joy That's wonderful. and there's also this there's a psalm that says a deep calls unto deep it's like uh, you know uh, what is it that Canadian geese, you know, migrate. What is it that draws them? What, what is it that pulls the tides? What is it that pulls us toward God? It's the depths in God pulling toward the depths in us. And I think of speaking of the tongues, you know, how do you, you can't reach out and, and physically embrace God. So how, how do you, uh, how do you put all that together with like Paul's statement that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself because he speaks mysteries unto God. Um, it, it seems to me that that's part of pouring out the soul. Uh, in, in marriage or in courtship, let's just use courtship, a kiss is more profound than a, a verbal statement, I love you. Now, it's important to have the verbal statement, but the kiss is non-cognitive. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that since we can't reach out and kiss God, that what he's done is given us a way to relate to him non-cognitively. That idea of the kiss, the intimacy, because there's something profoundly intimacy, intimate and, and in a way non-rational, but profoundly intimate and connecting for me in terms of yeah. praying in the spirit. It's not irrational, but it's non-rational speech. Now, I question why we see this as optional. Mm -hmm. If it was designed for our, our personal benefit, well, why, why is it optional? I mean, it's, it's such a natural part of... Uh... Every time tongues occurs in the book of Acts, it's all. Mm -hmm. You know, 120 all. Not some prophesy, some speak in tongues. Cornelius' house, oh, they all spoke. Uh, at Ephesus, all 12 spoke. 
so clearly from the New Testament standpoint. And I say to people, you know, every writer of the New Testament spoke in other tongues. You know, that was part of the experience. Why would we want... Uh, there's a phrase, um, when, when, when Peter reports back to the church at, at Jerusalem, his, ex, his experience at Cornelius' house, he says, they received the Spirit as did we at the beginning. That's a key phrase, at the beginning. Why would we want anything less than what they had at the beginning? When they, when, when they start saying, or whomever, they start saying, well, I don't understand the purpose now, that's one thing, but, but, but I, I think that the Holy Spirit is, is, is so intriguing that I just, I want everything He has for me. I mean, uh, I, I don't want to walk ahead of Him. I don't want to walk behind Him. I mean, if, if Jesus, you know, I don't want to be irreverent on this, and y'all probably challenge me theologically, but, you know, the Holy Spirit's, the one who stayed. I mean, he's here. If Jesus went away and he left us a comforter, uh, so the function of the Holy Spirit is so varied, and I, I think it's unfortunate that people focus on one aspect, and and that would be some reason to de-emphasize. I, I think I think that per parishioners in the in the pew, if they understood the full orb and benefit, so so there is empowerment, but there's also. A, a lot of other activities that are they're very very gracious but I think there are a lot more George Woods out there that are because of misrepresentation of true biblical teaching so what are scared and confused well, how, do you, how do you how do you approach that I, I I'd go there is a phrase and I, I've I've heard very few Pentecostals refer to this but it seems to me it's a very critical phrase in Hebrews chapter 6 verse uh, 2 where he says, you know, let's leave the elementary teachings. Elementary doesn't mean they're stupid or downgrade. It means the basic, foundational. Uh, and, and among the basic teachings are instructions, instruction about baptisms. Notice that's in the plural. Mm -hmm. Now, there are three baptisms in the that's New right. Testament. There's baptism into Christ, where, where the Spirit is the baptizer and the element into which we are placed is Christ. That's Acts or 1 Corinthians 12. Then there's water baptism in which the agent of the baptism is the minister and the element into which we're placed is water. And then there's spirit baptism in which Christ is the agent and the element into which we are placed is the spirit. So you have those three baptisms and Hebrews clearly uses baptisms in the plural because the early church understood there were these baptisms. And and what the writer of Hebrews says, now that you, you've got that down, now that you've got the three basic things that are initiatory events in the Christian life, they're part of a, a cluster of, of in, uh, initiatory events. Now that you've got that down, let's go on yep. to some yep. other growth and have some enduring evidence of the Spirit's work. Right. And I think that parallels Acts 19 when Paul comes to Apollos, the church in Ephesus, have you received since you believed? I mean, Paulus was a learned, he was schooled under um, Gamaliel. And uh, so he was a sharp pastor, sharp teacher, and yet it was so important for them to understand, have you had these baptisms? So uh, going back to what George was saying earlier, the elephant in the room is that we all have an experience yeah. of somebody who claimed to be operating yeah. with spirit endowment or direction. You know, the spirit told me to do this or told me not to do it. Some, uh, you know, some 
utterance that came out in a service that was either destructive or divisive or at least it was certainly not beneficial. Um, but that's where pastoring comes in. You got exactly. you got to pastor your people through those clunky situations. But pastoring is a little different than eliminating. A whole lot different. So so we, so perception sometimes becomes reality. So uh, you know we we've had humorous things that we talk about, kind of what I would call insider stories among preachers that we probably won't go into today. Uh, I've heard George do. I've, I've heard George do his yeah, list, and I, I'm trying to bait him here a little bit, but uh, <laughs> maybe just one or two, George. Well, it's like uh, it's it's um, it's uh, like the. Um, uh, the the guy in in a church in Florida that uh, stood up in the middle of the service said the Lord just told me to run into that wall over there, and he took off on a dead run and hit the inside brick wall of the church uh, before anybody could stop him. Fell uh, to the ground, um, and dazed and, and unmoving for a few moments while the congregation collectively gasped, and uh, and after a moment or two he gingerly picks himself up off the floor and looks sheepishly back at the congregation and says. While I was down there, the Lord told me not to do that anymore. <laughs> so we've all, you know. So, but because we have had yeah. these these uh, aberrations, or uh, you cannot you cannot take the 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 the, the failures and eliminate the. So, so when you talk about, uh, don't make the exception the rule. These are exceptions. Public. So, what what would be the the purpose of a public display of tongues and a gift of tongues and praying in the spirit? Privately, so well they are uniquely different. But I think those they are uniquely different. And I think like First Corinthians 14 is confusing at first glance because I think Paul kind of talks with the assumption that everybody has the personal prayer language, but that that because he clearly says the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the edification of the church, and so there's got to be some public dimension, especially the utterance gifts, and so. I think there he sort of assumes that everybody has his personal prayer language, but there are times where you feel God is giving you something for the church, and so you get up and speak in tongues, and then clearly you need someone to translate. And then Paul says, so do all speak in tongues? And in terms of the gift of tongues, the answer would be no. And, and, and yet Paul says, you know, I wish you all spoke in tongues as much as I do, and all this sort of thing. And so you've got kind of both, both hands. I, I finally... It kind of helped me to think about it like faith. You know, all of us have faith, mm -hmm. but one of the gifts of the Spirit is a gift of faith, and mm -hmm. and we all have faith. But but at times there's a a gift of faith for the advancing of the church. So I think too that one of the things that happens in the expression of the vocal gifts, whether it's prophecy, tongues, or tongues interpretation, is that is that uh, we've fallen into a cultural modality yeah. in exercising those gifts. So so people start screaming. Yeah. Or they, or they use King James English, yea, I, the Lord thy God, saith unto thee. Well, nobody talks like that, you know. I mean, but, it, but right. we were culturally conditioned to do that. It's a learned behavior. Yeah, it's a learned behavior. Yeah, so, and it's not that the Spirit isn't authentically speaking. It's just that we're putting it in a, in a framework that is, uh, that is not um, um, expressing it well within our, within our own uh, linguistic and cultural understanding. Uh, I, when I was pastoring, uh, you know, I... Uh, we had teaching on spiritual gifts. You know, if you're going to give a spiritual gift, do it in a natural tone of voice. Sure, you can enhance volume so everybody can hear, but don't, you know, you don't have to scream it, and you don't have to use, you know, I the Lord thy God saith unto thee. Right. Um, you can, uh, you, you can, um, you know, state it in, in a way that is, um, 
that is incisive and uh, revelatory and uh, uh, and let's face it there is a is a there is a growing maturity one doesn't arrive at doing spiritual gifts like you know perfect I mean, right. there there is a developmental it, 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 aspect it's not a dictation gifts. right no i mean so, so well, it's like it's like God's interpreting. God's if you see a picture yeah. it's if right. now if you're translating okay. then you're translating word for word yes. but if you see a picture interpretation often when i'm giving an interpretation tongues i'm seeing a picture mm -hmm. and i am operating off that vision narrative. so your personality may dictate what you would say different than your personality and your personality i mean for instance i mean we've actually i've actually seen this happen where two people started to give some type of message or interpretation and they started with different words or different sentences so that would be a hang-up for some people but really it's 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 well, the whole Bible is that. I mean, the New Testament is written by people that had different personalities. You can just read and tell where the Peter's writing or Paul's writing. Well, and that explains, too, you know, the difference. You can't put on a stopwatch and say, well, the tongues took, you know, 30.6 yeah, 30. right. seconds, but the interpretation was three minutes long. Well, sometimes languages do differ in terms of length from one language to another. But also, if you're understanding the visual component of the seer, mm -hmm. the person giving the prophetic word or the interpretation following the tongue, they may be, you know, fleshing out some things in terms of the, the picture they're seeing in their mind, which may take longer or shorter than the original tongue. I mean, there are some amazing stories out there of uh, people speaking in tongues. They don't know the language, but it is an actual language, and someone else in the service happens to know that language. And, you ever uh, had that happen to you? Um, in I, a I, I, not to me personally. But, I mean, have uh, you but, seen it? In, but I have seen it. I yes, have, too. Yeah, I have, yeah, I've been, I've so there's a great I've story about your dad. dad. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, you, that, that's a powerful story out of uh, Arkansas, actually. Yeah, when, uh, who was it, uh, David, uh, David Campbell, Campbell yeah. was five years of age? I think, I, I don't uh, have all the details, because I think Tommy Carpenter he he was, was uh, told us. My dad was a visiting missionary yeah. to his dad's church. His dad was high school superintendent. Dad walks in, and here's this elderly lady praying in perfect Mandarin and naming by name all the members of the church that dad had left in China. That dad, and dad said... Wow. I can't believe it, you know, yep. because Dad had no contact with that church, and uh, so he, and and that made an impression upon that five-year-old boy who is now a pastor. Pastor, yeah. See, I uh, think th these are some of the fears that keep people from wanting to explore. You know, the fear of if I'm baptized in spirit, then do I have to within two weeks give a public utterance? Sure, you yeah, know, yeah. or the fear of I'm going to lose control of my human faculties in order to that. That's just, and that's part I think of a. Of, of pastoring or teaching, teaching effectively on on the person, not just the work of the Spirit. Start with the person of the Spirit and then walk through the work. Well, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. That's what we're teaching on. That's why we're trying to stake the time to go through this so that we understand who the Holy Spirit is. We started off a number of weeks ago in the Fruit of the Spirit, and we've been talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to continue to talk about it over the next few weeks to the point that we can be cognizant and aware of his purpose, of his person, of his, uh, uh, of his reason, uh, that we have a relationship with him, that we can uh, be an enduring relationship with him. So that's what we're going to continue to talk about over the next few weeks. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence among us. And Lord, we thank you for your uh, desire to teach us and to impress upon us your truth. And, Lord, that's what we want. We want to be sure that we're following true, godly, 
uh, guidance and biblical mandates and instruction. So God, always protect us, I pray. As we study your word and as we go about the activities of our life, God, I just pray that your presence would be among us and give us and just create a sense of hunger in our hearts and our lives that we just want more of you. Lord, the time is short. We don't know really what's around the corner anymore. There's just so much going on in this world that, Lord, now is the time of any time that we've ever lived to be more and more tied in with what you're doing. So, God, I pray that you would just minister to our hearts and our lives and bless us as we go to our homes today and give us a hunger to be back as soon as we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed today.